Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello everyone. After 23 days of action, despite a bit of rain, England are the ICC T20 world champions for the second time. Joining me to discuss the competition is the podcast cricketing expert, former England international Roland Butcher. Hello Roland, welcome back to the show. Yeah, Stephen, good morning and um, good to see you again. Um, How are you? You've been busy. I know you went to the Lord's Museum yesterday to see some superb photos by Tom Shaw. Yes, obviously the Black Cricketers exhibition has been at Lord's now for perhaps a month or so. Um, Yesterday, I got the opportunity, the first opportunity to go and see it. I had a meeting at Lord's, so I took the opportunity to go and have a a look for myself. Obviously, others have been before and taken photos and sent them to me, but I needed to go myself and take some real photos myself as well. Yeah, I've been along and your England Blazers there as well. Yeah, my England blazer, also my um, England tracksuit as part of the exhibition, which I I loan the exhibition. So, no, it was it was it was very nice. And obviously, yourself went. I mean, obviously, you were the first one to to send me uh, those photos after you paid a visit. So, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. So so did my my guests. And they're going to be there all through the summer, I think, during the Ashes summer of twenty twenty three. Yeah, I think they'll be there for a year. Um, started obviously in October, which is at the end of the cricketing season. So, you know, obviously next summer with the Australians here and, and obviously plenty of cricket at Lords, I think it would be a good opportunity really for people when they go to Lords to, to see what is there. And they've done a good job. Yes, and Tom Shaw, he's he was on this podcast uh, oh, it was quite a long time ago now, over 12 months ago, but... Uh, Listeners might want to go back and listen to to Tom Shaw on the podcast. But today we're going to talk about the ICC T20 World Cup. Um, We're going to cover the final, why England won won the event, uh, look at some of the other teams, 
talk about the West Indies failings and ask you to look into your crystal ball and give a prediction for the 2024 T20 World Cup. But before we move on to the final, I just wanted to get your overall thoughts of the whole competition. We certainly had plenty of shocks. I think um, you're absolutely right. The competition was such that, you know, the shocks started uh, even in the qualifying periods. Um, as you would know, West Indies lost to both Scotland and Ireland, um, which ended up, which meant they didn't really make the, 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 the playoffs. Um, that was quite disappointing. But I guess it was also, from a cricketing point of view, that was the first set of shocks. And then obviously during the, the games, you had some other shocks as well. So I think overall, I would say some of the smaller so-called nations did they cause a lot of good by uh, beating some, some decent teams and, uh, and advancing? Perhaps the biggest shock was, uh, for me, after the West Indies would have been the South Africa, who were on the verge of qualifying and then lost an all-important game to one of the minnows, so to speak, and um, left the competition. Apart from that, as you know, the weather was, at times, um, not great, a um, lot of weather interference, which is pretty unusual uh, for Australia. But apparently, you know, I've been talking to other people in Australia and throughout Australia, I think they've had some pretty awful weather. Uh, the cricket season, particularly in Melbourne, up to this point, which would have started at the beginning of October, they might have played one game up to this point. So that tells you how bad the weather has been. So to get it finished, um, you know, all credit to the, the Australian Cricket Board. And, you know, we, we, we watched some good cricket as well, which was, you know, I think cricket supporters around the world um, enjoy the competition. And was 2022 more of a test for the batsmen? And the, the toss wasn't as important, was it? No, I think, um, obviously, as you know, we had the last one in the, in the, in the UAE, which the toss played a big t- part in, uh, in the games. Um, here, didn't play that much a part, I guess apart from the ones that were, uh, had to go down to Duckworth Lewis. But apart from that, you know, as you know, you get good pitches in Australia, so um, the scores were on the low side this time, and I think that may have been because of the, you know, the inclement weather that you were getting um, throughout the season. But I think I would have expected normally a normal Australian summer. I think runs would have been there'd be more runs scored. Well, let's talk about the final, a repeat of the 1992 50-over final, that, which England lost to Pakistan. Pakistan one three seven for seven, England one three eight for five, winning by five wickets. But were you sitting comfortably as a former England player when we were eighty four for four? Well, uh, that's the early part of the game. Um, when England were batting after the start that they got, I felt England were very much in the box seat. But you had to credit the recovery by Pakistan because after that start, really, Pakistan should not have been back. They should not go back in the game um, because themselves, they didn't score enough runs. Really, they had England on the, on the ropes, really. And the, the deciding factor for me was that period between over number 14 and 16 in the Pakistan innings where when Pakistan should have been, they had plenty of wickets in hand. Instead of increasing the over the run rate, uh, their run rate was absolutely appalling for the last six overs. 
Uh, I don't know if you've got the stats, but if you check the stats, you'll find that in the last six overs, um, they scored hardly any runs. And I, I think you probably will find that they hit one boundary during that period. So for me, that's really where they lost the game. I always felt this game was going to be a tough one for England because it was the best ball inside against the best bat inside. And because the conditions in Australia, this particular series has been a little bit helpful as well to the bowlers, I felt that gave Pakistan a very good chance if they could put a total on the board. If they got another 20 runs, which they should have done, from the position they were in, I think they would have won that game because of, of you know their bowling attack. But they fought back and they, and they made England fight. And at the end, really, if Ben Stokes didn't play that well, again, Pakistan could still have won the game. Um, so it, it was a good game. As I said, some terrific fast bowling, um, some high-class fast bowling by the Pakistanis to drag themselves back into the game. Uh, Nazim Shah, after a very, very ordinary couple of overs, Richie he got hammered and set the tone for for England. Then came back and was absolutely brilliant with a with a ball and showed great pace and movement and and that showed you what possibilities there were if you had twenty runs above. But at the end of the day, um, Stokes, who's done it before, um, very calm head. Um, it's won big games before, and that's what you need really in tough situation. You need big players to stand up, and Ben Stokes was that man for England. And they were able to celebrate at the end of the day in Pakistan. We're disappointed. Was a big difference when Shaheen got injured because he was unable to bowl his last 11 balls. And then Iftikhar, the off spinner, bowled five balls and Ben Stokes hit him for 13 runs. I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, your main bowler, but I, I, I felt when it came down to that point, you know, the, the game was really slipping away at that stage. England still had quite a few batsman in, in the shed. I mean, you had Rashid coming at number 11. So you had enough batsmen to, for one of the batters to, to get England home. Um, that's something we would never know. Obviously, from a Pakistan point of view, they would have been extremely disappointed. They would have liked to have found out whether um, Afridi would have made a difference. But obviously, the backup bowler, um, Stokes climbed into him. Um, one fell short or long off, so he had a bit of fortune there. And then he got the other one just over his head. So he cashed in and that was a really deciding situation. And poor Shaheen, who took a very good catch, tried to come back onto the field, but uh, their most potent bowler just couldn't finish the game. And that was unfortunate. That's how the game goes. And how impressed were you were with the England bowling? With uh, Sam Curran, three for 12. He was the man of the match and the player of the tournament. Adil Rashid bowling a wicket maiden in a T20 World Cup final, taking two wickets. Yeah, Rashid was brilliant. I mean, um, in this game, you know, he 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 really put the pressure on the batsman. He spun the ball, he got it to bounce, had good control. Um, we know he's a good um, one-day bowler. I think he found a pitch that assisted him, which made it even more difficult for the batsman. And he was he was terrific. Curran obviously would have been the surprise. Um, I think, particularly in a big game like this, I think you would have been looking to the likes of um, of Rashid, etc. But I think for Curran to do what he did was was fantastic, and to go on to also win um, the player of the tournament, which really underscores you know his development um, throughout this tournament because 
You know, he would have come into the side as a young guy who you're not really looking f- too much for, really. I mean, he he would have been someone uh, you would think tried to find his find his way in the, in the game, but he went beyond that. He didn't just find his way. He, he ended up being a star performer. And I think those three wickets that he picked up, particularly in that period where Pakistan really wanted to accelerate, uh, made sure that England were not chasing a, a much more sizable total. So he did really well, and hopefully, you know, he'll kick on from here and and you know be a top top player. Well, talking about stars, you've mentioned him already, Ben Stokes, and I've got a question from a David Fountain in Wimbledon, which is which is near March, where I live. Uh, I mean, you played with some played with and against some brilliant all-rounders. Where do you put Ben Stokes in that category? I think Stokes, you know, he's got to be up there because, I mean, you know, he has proven on several occasions that when things are tight, you know, he can get you out of a hole. Um, you know, you only got to take your mind back to the, the World Cup. Not too long ago in England, the 50 of a World Cup, you know, um, Absolutely brilliant in his when the game was lost. He did it here. He's done it in test matches. Um, so he must rank in the top top of, of English or rungers. I would also, you know, the likes of both and etc. You've got to rank in that area as well because, you know, okay, it's a different era. Uh, both and is a match winner, um, mainly obviously in test cricket and fifty over cricket. I'm sure that. In T20 cricket, he would have been a huge hit. I think he would have been one of the big stars as well. So I think Stokes is in very good company. Uh, I'd just like to move on to what do you think the key reasons why England won the competition? They're now the first country to hold both the the 50 over and the T20 titles. What do you think are the key reasons why England are the best side at the moment? I think England played well in this competition. Things went well for them in certain areas. Um, at times, you know, they played some good cricket, but it, it was also very helpful that some of their main competitors didn't play particularly good cricket. Australians at home was very disappointing. Um, you would have expected that them would have performed well at home. I certainly had them as the pre-tournament favourites based on winning the last one and then playing in their backyard, but they're disappointed. So that was in England's favour. Pakistan nearly went out of the tournament and um, got a life life support, so that helped England cause. I think India also, um, in many ways, underperformed. And um, at the end of the day, you know, you know, England's aggressive um, nature, which they played all throughout the tournament, it didn't work all the time, um, got them over the line. But I think it was a combination of England playing well and a lot of the big sides playing below par as well. But would you agree that England have, you mentioned it earlier on the podcast, have great depth in batting and the openers both performed very well during the tournament? I think throughout the tournament, you would say that England had the, as I said before, the best batting team in the tournament. Um, You know, Pakistan, as I said, had the best bowling. Um, Australia, you would have expected them to be very, very competitive. Um, New Zealand, I guess did as New Zealand do, you know, they they get there and thereabouts. Um, I didn't have them as one of my final four, but they made it as as one of the final four and deservedly so. Uh, But I think overall, for me, England performed well. They were not really pushed by the other big sides. 
um, credit to the smaller nations. I think they enhanced their reputations. Uh, but overall, I think when England look back, they will feel that, yes, we won this tournament, but um, at the end of the day, we beat sides that were not really playing at their best. But you beat who's in front of you, and that's what they did. And ended up with another, another World Cup. How impressed were you with Josh Butler and, and his captaincy as well? Well, the butler really captain the way he bats. You know, he's, you know, he's quite um, innovative, quite aggressive. Um, I don't think, and the good thing for England was that it didn't affect the way that he played the game. Um, he still batted the way that Butler plays, which is ultra-aggressive. And um, everybody rallied around him. And I think the bonuses really were the likes of Curran and others coming along. And the return of Alex Hills, I mean, that that helped cement the, the team, made the job easy for him. I mean, you've got players performing. Um, then the captain's role is is not that critical. Um, so I think Butler, he will have um, harder days to come. There's no doubt about it. Um, there will be times when the team's not performing individually. And then you will see what sort of a captain he is. But in this tournament, as I said, we, you know, he had when it, when it needed, he had Rashid when it was needed, Ben Stokes, Alex Hales. Um, so, you know, he, he did a good job. And first time out, he's got to work up to to show for it. And you think they were right to, to bring back Alex Hales to the England setup? Well, they proved it, didn't it? I mean, you know, he you know, he batted well at the top of the order, um, formed a good partnership with Butler, uh, really put teams under pressure the way both of them play at the start of the, the innings, particularly in the power play. Um, you know, so that, that was a good asset. Uh, I think people were just wanting to, to find out whether Hells would still have um, that desire and hunger and ability to succeed. Uh, clearly he did. And that was um, a good thing for the team. And as you know, if you get a good start at the top of the order, um, you know, you've got great possibilities down, down the order. And then you've got people like Ben Stokes coming in at the death as well. Moynali, very dangerous players with a bat. Gives you a, a real chance of, of being successful. Yeah. So England's, you know, they had the bat in throughout the tournament to, to win the tournament. And even before, if you looked at the tournament, you could see they were by far the best batting team. Just expanding on some of the other teams you've mentioned, the Australians, hosts, holders, they had a very bad start when they were crushed by New Zealand by 89 runs. Uh, they only had one player under 30. Are they, have they got a sort of an ageing team? Yeah, they have. I mean, they've got to rip the script up and start again. Um, you could see the way Australia was going from the warm-up matches. I mean, I could see they were not, they were struggling. Um, and that was for me always a good indication that they were going to struggle in the tournament because you know Australia in the past have always been pretty strong in, in the warm up matches and, and it, it usually gives you a glimpse of what's to come. I saw in the warm up matches a team that was going to struggle, and that's the way it worked out. And they're going to have to make changes, um, they're going to have to regroup, they're going to have to perhaps you know change change the way they do things get some different personnel and um, and try to come back. I, I have no doubt, obviously, that they will do because, you know, they are a very forward-thinking um, cricketing nation, a very proud nation who likes to win all the time. So 
they're not going to sit and accept that, you know, they're second best. They're going to at least be working hard to try and reverse that. The biggest, the team really with the biggest headaches really is India because, um, you know, a lot of people's pre-tournament favourite and pre-tournament favourites for any form of cricket for a lot of people, um, their demise is... Um, is something that they have got to really look at because I think you've got a situation now where um, teams are no longer afraid of them. So that's going to be now a test of their real metal as to whether, you know, they have got what it takes, you know, to come back from this and compete with the other teams. I mean, the way they were dismantled in the, in the semi-final by England should send shivers really down the, down the spine of, of Indian cricket. and it should really give great encouragement to all the other teams to say, hang on, um, all of these fantastic players they've got, but, you know, we can stand up to them and beat them. And that, that I think that was an important statement that England put on the park with that 10-wicket win. I mean, that's a statement not just for England, but for all the other cricketing nations. And I think India are going to have to, they're going to have to come good to come back from this um, and quickly. Yeah, England scored 170 without loss in that game against India. India did win their group. They won four of the five matches and had two of the top three batsmen in Kohli and Yadav. But did they miss Jasprit Bumrah's sort of cutting edge? Oh, most definitely. I mean, as I said, that's why, um, you know, you normally associate India in white ball cricket with a good bowling attack. Um, that was not the case in this um, tournament. You know, so they miss the likes of him. Um, obviously, people at like Jadeja, you know, who adds balance to the team. Left arm spinner, brilliant fielder, batsman. Um, you know, two key players. I think Boomer with a huge loss because, you know, his ability to get early wickets and then come back in the middle and tie things up was sorely missed. But I, I think from a batting point of view, you know, I think that was quite disappointing, really, for India. I think the, you know, the the runs came from just one or two players, and that that's the problem. And South Africa, you, we didn't actually mention who they lost to, which was Holland, which was well, Netherlands, which was completely out of the blue. Was it their batting was the, the problem there? Well, I think when you look at South Africa, I, I think it's it, it's a psychological problem with South Africa that we've all known for a long, long time that for some unknown reason, and perhaps they probably haven't found a reason yet, is that they always seem to choke at the, at the final hurdle. I mean, that's we've seen that over and over again. Um, as you know, if it happened once, okay, you can understand that twice. You're getting a, a little bit worried, but when it happens three, four, five times, then you, you, you've you got a problem that needs to be sorted out. And I think that's the first thing they have to sort out. They've always got good players. You know, they get some good batsmen, they get good bowlers, they had a good bowling attack. But something within that team or something within the makeup is not mentally right uh, for big tournaments. They've got to, that's what they've got to concentrate on. They've got to change some of that mentality, how to get over the hurdles and win big matches and win important matches. They have been unable to do that for a long, long time. If, if you go back the number of World Cups they've played in and you've seen just how they have folded 
at the final hurdle uh, to tell you that there is a psychological problem um, within their within their curriculum makeup. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. One team, uh, dual winners of the competition 2012 and 2016, who clearly underperformed were the West Indies. And uh, I have one person who'd like to know about this is John the Dentist Maynard, who I still keep in touch with. He's still busy coaching at Newmarket Cricket Club on a Saturday morning between nine and four. I've got your plug in there, John. What happened to the West Indies, Roland? Well, I think if John has been following the West Indies, I think John would know fully well what happened to the West Indies. I don't think at any stage you would have expected West Indies to have won this tournament or to be even competitive in the tournament. I think what you didn't see was you thought at least they would get out of the, the qualifying group. You know, um, you, you would imagine that Zimbabwe had been playing some good cricket, so you would have imagined that Zimbabwe and West Indies would have got out of that group. I don't think anybody imagined that what took place in the group was going to happen. But I never, ever felt that the West Indies had a strong enough team at this moment in time to really to win that competition against established teams, so sort of like India, England, Australia, et cetera, et cetera. Um, John, it, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, as you would know, really, as I know, there's another World Cup next year, so it doesn't give a lot of time. But I think it's going to really take more than a year, you know, to turn the fortunes of West Indies cricket around. Uh, we've got a tremendous amount of work to do, and you know, we've got to get ahead with it. So, is it a lack of quality? Because we've obviously changed from the old guard to the young guard. No, Chris Gale, Andre Russell, Kieran Pollard. Bravo. Well, I mean, I, I mean, listen, it's inevitable that the time will come where, you know, you, you, those changes have to be made. You know, you know, Australia are going to approach that point right now where a lot of those experienced players of the team are going to suddenly have to leave the team, and, and and it will happen. And then comes, you know, there comes a period that, um, you know, you struggle. I think for the West Indies right now is, you know, we don't have, we don't seem to have. Um, two or three excellent players still in the setup that can hold the, the team together. It's a case of all young players, and they may not be young in age, but they'll be young in experience. They're all pretty much in the same boat, all young players, you know, fighting for survival. Now, when you're doing that against the best of the world, that's extremely difficult. Um, we need, sometimes you need a bit of luck. You know, you need to find a freak player sometime who just comes out of the woodwork and who is able to hold that together and allow the others to um, to develop. You know, we'll have to wait and see who that who that player is going to be. But we need we need a player right now to just appear from somewhere. Um, you know, sometimes it's not always by design, but we need that type of player, you know, just to galvanize um, the development of the others. But it's not going to be easy. 
it's going to be extremely difficult. Because back in January, they did beat England 3-2 in a T20 series. Uh, Kieran Pollard still leading the side then. Yeah, listen, at home, you know, at the moment, you know, their home form isn't bad. You know, they're still competitive, uh, even, you know, particularly at the test match level. At home, you know, they're giving people a run for, for their money. Um, there's, no, there's no question about that. Um, I would like to see that, you know, if, if we can get a stronger uh, bowling attack, because I really believe that, you know, bowlers win matches. You know, you can, if you've got an excellent bowling team, you don't have to score huge, huge targets to, to win games. So really, at the end of the day, bowlers, you know, bowlers win matches. Um, so at home, you know, with the bowling, they're, they're very, very competitive. What they've got to do now is, you know, transfer that competitiveness overseas. And we haven't seen that for a while. And they've got two test matches coming up against Australia um, later on this month. Um, I would expect that those are going to be very, very difficult test matches. But, you know, you're hoping for a couple of bright sparks to to say, you know, hang on, you know, there's going to be a future here. But we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see and also see what Australia's attitude is going to be towards the test matches. I believe the attitude is going to be, obviously, they want to go out there and win and win handsomely because their test points at stake. Um, you know, they have picked pretty much a full squad, um, full 13 for those, for those test matches. So that signals their intentions. Just got to wait and see what happens on the park. Yeah, the Australians, Australians want to win for the World Test Championship points with the final being at the Oval in uh, 2023. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, they would like to feel that West Indies are a team down at the moment. Um, they've just had a bad series themselves, so they need to get back some credibility with the public in Australia. Um, so I would expect that they're going to come really hard at the West Indies and, and try to win those two matches. I've got a question for, for you now from Mariko Hill. She plays for, for Hong Kong. She's also part of the Fairbreak Eleven, and um, there will be a, a podcast shortly about the Fairbreak 11 tour of England, Scotland and Netherlands shortly. And she wanted to know if you could be part of any team in the World Cup, which team would you like to play for and why? And you can't choose England. You can't choose England. <laughs> I don't well, know what your fielding would be like now. but uh... Well, I mean, um, well, Marika, at my age, I, I would definitely be... Um... A disability to the team, <laughs> but um, especially on those big grounds in Australia, the MCG, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think trying to get the ball in from the boundary might be an issue. Um, might have to throw it two or three times, run and pick it up, and then get it in from there. But yeah, I mean, listen, I, I, I would love if I could obviously make a difference. You know, I would love to be to be part of a West Indies team. You know, and and help them to you know, to be a decent team. That's one scenario. Now, if I'm thinking of wanting to be with another team, um, I would say, I would say Pakistan because I think, you know, Pakistan have got some terrific cricketers, very talented cricketers, but again, they're like South Africa. They fall at the last minute. So that, again, there's something missing there. I would like to be part of that team to help them to to get over um, that situation. As you know, when you come to get play against Pakistan, 
the first question you ask is which team is going to turn up today, right? If the world, if the real Pakistan turn up, they can be anybody. They can be any team. The problem is they don't turn up two days in a row. So I would want to be part of that team to help them to become the sort of a team that turns up every on every occasion, not just occasionally. Because I think that the talent that they have as cricketers is very similar to, to what West Indies had in terms of batting and bowling. And of late, obviously, of course, their fielding has improved immensely. So, again, I think I would be able to assist them in that area as well. Well, thank you very much for the question, Mariko. Um, uh, we'll have to look at um, Roland's ex strike rates to see where he'd fit in the in the current T20 era. But uh, you could be the Mizbar of the team, couldn't you? <laughs> well, uh, a younger version, I guess. I would have to. I would have to be in my youth. You mentioned there's a World Cup next year, 2023, which is the 50-over World Cup. We've then got a T20 World Cup again in 2024, which is being held in the Caribbean and the USA. Yeah. Um, with your crystal ball in hand, you made a prediction for this particular T20 World Cup last year, and you, you, you came up with Australia. Who's going to win in two years' time? In two years' time... I, I would expect in two years' time to see a resurge. India, India, I think they will resurge as a as a, a nation. I mean, they they've got a lot of soul searching to to do now to to understand what is happening with their cricket. I would expect in two years' time that they would have turned that around. Um, I would hope that in two years' time that you would see a much more um, competitive and West Indies team and playing West Indies as well. So I, I would be looking at West Indies being very, very a tough um, opponent in, in that tournament. Obviously, Australia have got two years to fix their cricket as well. South Africa, again, is two years going to be enough for them to get to the point where they can win the tournament. Listen, I, I believe that, just like the Football World Cup, the the winners really only come from a, around a very small number of teams. And again, you know, it, it revolves around three or four teams always. And, and that's the same thing that happened here again. Um, you know, it does, it does, when you look at a football World Cup, you know, there are only six or seven teams that's ever won it um, in its entire history. So, you know, that, that tells you really that the majority of the teams realistically don't have a chance. Um, so how quickly those teams come back, how quickly India come back, how quickly Australia come back, West Indies at home, um, you know, I think really West Indies should be should be in the next two years a much more competitive side. Uh, obviously England's going to be, you know, their white ball cricket is going to remain strong because, you know, they play a lot of white ball cricket here. The players, they've got plenty of players to choose from. We'll have to wait and see because two years down the line, what we're starting to see right now is that, which has affected the West Indies for a long, long time, a lot of players are you know, choosing franchise cricket now even over international cricket. So in two years' time, will players be choosing, will there be more franchise cricket? Will players be so, so 
packed with cricket that they might even want to miss internationals, even World Cups. Um, so those are things we have to wait and see over the next couple of years. What happens with with, with the players? I mean, I've I've just noticed a young man here and has given up playing three day cricket to play white ball cricket. Um, is that the future? I, I think there is a fear that a lot of that will happen, and and then that will affect the the national teams for sure. Let's say India might um, continue with their what they do right now, where they don't allow their players to play in other T um, Twenty competitions. But playing in the West Indies and the United States, the conditions will be harder for England than playing in Australia. Most definitely. Um, you know, recent history have shown that England have struggled um, in the Caribbean, you know, even when they've had good teams. Um, you know, the, kind of, I'm trying to think back when, they, when, when they've won a series in, in, in the West Indies. Um, so it's going to be, you know, they're going to be aware of that. That the fact that they haven't had a, a very good record um, in the Caribbean, um, so you know they've got they'll have work to do. But as I said the other teams really um, will all be competitive. Australia, I think New Zealand will be competitive. Pakistan will be competitive. Um, it's lining up to be another good tournament in a couple of years' time. And I hope that the West Indies are the the team that um, nobody sees coming, but surprises everyone. Well, just a couple more points to cover before before we end the podcast. Uh, first question is, you, you haven't taken any sheep into the city <laughs> of London yet? <laughs> no, I mean, I, you've got to get hold of them first. And, um, <laughs> you know, I was, born in a, I was born in a farming area, but um, I don't, I don't think you, you can really... I, don't, I can't think of anyone who's got sheep in the capital, actually. But uh, it's a nice honour to, to be able to walk sheep over the, over the bridge. Yes, you've just been awarded the Freedom of the City of London. That must have been a great honour, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a great honour and privilege. Um, you know, not something that I expected, but, you know, to receive, uh, you know, such an honour. Um, I'm very, very proud. and. So was my family, entire family, really was proud of of that and what it meant, and obviously the the people who have gone before, uh, who has had that honour. Um, you know, there are some enormous names there. So to be to be given the same honour, I, I feel very, very honoured and very privileged. And changing the sport briefly, we've got the the World Cup football competition due to start on the twentieth. Who's going to win the competition, and how do you think England will fare? Oh boy, this—that's um, this is going to be a difficult one as well. Because when I mean, you're you're a qualified UEFA coach, an ex-Stevenage player, I am. But what I am not is I'm not one hundred percent on playing in Qatar. I mean, it is how people can actually come to terms with playing um, football over there. Um, it's going to be, I mean, I, I, I feel the European sides may be a bit disadvantaged. Normally in a World Cup, I always have said in the past, I've always looked to believe that Germany would be in the final four. Not so sure this time. And that's the first time that I've ever said that in a World Cup, as long as I can remember. 
Um, England, you know, England usually play well, but just miss out. I think the the Premier League and the amount of football that they play is going to play a big part and on how far they go because, you know, players have been playing now from the beginning of August. Some said tournaments in the summer. And as you know, they play at least twice a week. That's going to be, you know, that's going to be draining. So it's going to also reduce their chance of winning. Um, I think Brazil and Argentina, you've got to keep a close look on those, on those teams. Um, they've been making some headway. For me, I think Brazil might be the, Brazil might be the surprise team um, in this World Cup. I, so I, I feel one of the South American teams um, could win it. But you're hopeful England will get out of their group with Iran, United States and Wales. Yeah, I mean, you should be able to get out of that. I mean, um, you know, if, if you look at the the difference in quality of those teams, I mean, you would say that English should get out of that group. Um, you know, I think, you know, USA might be quite competitive, you know. Um, their footballers come on leaps and bounds. So, you know, they're going to have to be careful um, with with USA. And, you know, Iran, I think, and those teams will be empowered to, to play. So it could be a tough, it could be a tough, tough group for England, but I would expect that England will get out of that group. You know, if they don't get out of that group, then really they would not deserve to, to win the World Cup or to be fighting for the World Cup. But we said that with the West Indies and um, we saw what happened. Well, thank you very much. We've covered a lot on this podcast. We've uh, talked about the 2022 ICC T20 World Cup. We've looked ahead to the 2024 T20 World Cup and talked about the 2022 Football World Cup. And and we've talked about sheep as well. So we've done most things. Well, and Stephen, you you mentioned next year you've got the big one. I mean, the, the Aussies are coming to erase the memory of this World Cup the ashes next summer that's a a long way off we've got of course the series against Pakistan which starts on the 1st of December Uh, 5am UK time it all starts and hopefully you'll be back to review that series at the end of the year and you've already given your prediction that Pakistan are going to win 2-1 so you can't change that no no I'll stick with that so I'll hopefully chat chat with you again at the end of the year Yes, most definitely. It's always a pleasure to speak with you, Stephen. And um, let's hope that the next time we speak, that um, West Indies are on the way up. Well, we'll find out. Okay, thanks very much again. Great pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Paddock and the Pavilion. You can download the show on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at The Pad and Pad. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.